Welcome back, everyone, to another broadcast of In the Trenches. I am so excited to have on the call today Dr. Jordan B. Peterson. Dr. Peterson is a professor at the University of Toronto, a clinical psychologist, and the author of 12 Rules for Life, an Antidote to Chaos, Maps of Meaning, the Architecture of Belief, and hundreds of scientific papers which have been cited literally thousands of times. As a Harvard professor, he was nominated for the prestigious Levinson Teaching Prize, and his classroom lectures on mythology and psychology, based on his book, Maps of Meaning, were turned into a popular 13-part TV series on TVO. I first stumbled across Dr. Peterson's work via his Maps of Meaning lecture series on YouTube. Within minutes, I was hooked and proceeded to binge-watch more than 24 hours of these lectures, which uses the story of Pinocchio to articulate the way in which you and I act in the world, the deeply biological origin of meaning and sacrifice, and how we can better navigate the world through understanding stories, meta-stories, and archetypes. If you had told me two years ago that my favorite videos on YouTube would be a lecture series on Pinocchio, I would have called you crazy. But that's a testament to Dr. Peterson, how he can take topics that would otherwise be mundane or cliche and turn it into a compelling narrative that gives the best films and miniseries a run for their money. Unsurprisingly, Dr. Peterson's YouTube channel, Jordan Peterson Videos, which features his university and public lectures, including his most recent 15-part biblical series, has over 1 million subscribers with tens of millions of views. Because I've listened to literally hundreds of hours of Dr. Peterson's lecture series and just about every interview he's been on in the past year or two, today's conversation, instead of going the typical route of really dissecting his book, 12 Rules for Life, hits on a bunch of different areas that I found were left unanswered from other interviews or from his other lecture series, which is to say that if you're new to his work, my hope is that this will still be an engaging interview, but it might bounce around a little bit. With that said, there's a couple things I recommend. Pick up his book, 12 Rules for Life, An Antidote to Chaos. It's a great starter and a great intro to what he does. I highly recommend checking out his Maps of Meaning, the Architecture of Belief lecture series on YouTube. Just search Maps of Meaning 2017. Another lecture series that I really enjoyed was his Psychological Significance of the Biblical Stories. Again, you can just search that on YouTube, and he has about, I believe, 15 videos on that where he dissects the first couple books of the Bible and goes into the psychology behind them. With that said, in today's conversation, we cover topics like, what does Dr. Peterson's morning routine look like? How does he find time to write, which is a habit he says that everybody should develop? We also talk about some more deeply philosophical ideas, the idea of bullies and why we shouldn't let them get away with it, and that'll make sense in context when you listen, and this idea of meaning and suffering and how we should try to reduce the latter and increase the former and why that's so important. I also touch on some ideas from one of my other favorite thinkers and writers, Nassim Taleb's ideas on skin in the game and how those seem to nest really well with Dr. Peterson's philosophy. We also talk about the right and left dichotomy and what happens when either the left or the right becomes very extreme and what that means for society. And finally, we have a couple of reader questions that we dive into that I think you're really going to enjoy. Last thing before we get to the conversation, if you enjoy this interview, please go to tomworkus.com slash iTunes and leave a review on iTunes. Leave a rating and review, or you can just search it within iTunes. Ratings and reviews mean a lot and help spread the word of this podcast and help me get on other great guests. So thank you in advance for doing just that. Without further ado, let's get to the conversation. So Dr. Peterson, the place I'd like to start is by going behind the scenes of your life. So give us a sense of what your morning routine is like right now. Well, I wouldn't say at the moment that I have a morning routine. I mean, I do do a couple of things. Um, I do kundalini yoga exercises with my wife fairly regularly. 
Um, but my life is so scattered and I'm traveling so much now that every day is sort of put together on the fly. You know, and I often don't know, except in the vaguest of senses, what I'm going to be doing the next day because I have people handling my schedule. And so one, um, my daughter handles my schedule. I hired her to do that starting, well, a few months ago because I needed someone to do it full time. And so she kind of maps things out the, the weeks and months in advance. And then my wife basically keeps track of what I'm going to be doing from moment to moment. And I just get up and barrel through the day and, and look forward to some peace at the end of it. And uh, so I wouldn't say at the moment I have a routine at all, except that I'm very careful to make sure that I, I'm always, I have breakfast early because it's absolutely necessary. Um, and you had said in the past, you discussed this idea of how important it is to write so we can learn how to use our words correctly. Do you still find time in the day to write? Obviously you just wrote a book, but you're doing so many interviews. You're on like every news channel, you're everywhere. A lot of these presentations, you're speaking on stage. Where do you find time to write, if at all? Well, what, what's happened in the very recent past, and that, and that would really literally be in the last week, is that I've been discussing my Twitter strategy, so to speak, with my son in particular, and other people who are on my team. Um, and I've started because I was engaging in, let's say, political disputes, you might describe them that way, on Twitter. Um, and Twitter is a platform that re rewards impulsivity, you know, and it's a dangerous platform, even though it's very powerful. And so what I've decided to do instead is that if I do feel inclined to comment on something, I'm writing a blog about it and I'll tweet the blog. And that'll enable me to go more in depth on issues that I, I'm concerned about. Um, and that seems to be working quite well. I put out three blog posts this week, as well as announcing, I announced 20 more cities on this tour that I'm doing because I'm touring across the United States. And so I think that's 30 cities now that, are, that, are, that are scheduled. Um, I've also been doing some writing for newspapers. I have an article coming out in the London Times on Easter Sunday, I believe. And, but I haven't been doing that much writing as of late, since I've, well, since I finished my last book. And that's okay. Um, I've been doing a fair bit of reading. I've been going through Sam Harris's books most recently because I'm going to have three or four discussions with Sam publicly over the next few months. Exciting. And so I'm trying to, thank you, thank you. I'm trying to like memorize all the details of his arguments so that I'm prepared to talk to him. And uh, so I've been doing a fair bit of re writing, but or reading, but not so much writing. And I'll get back to that in the relatively near future. But it's definitely a good idea if, if you're trying to straighten out your thinking. Yeah, and I know we'll get into that a little bit, talking about the self-authoring program in just a second. So you have a new book out, 12 Rules for Life and Antidote to Chaos. I think the title is self-explanatory in a good way, and it's an outstanding book. I, I've read it. I, I've t highlighted like half of it, so I'm going to be going back through it a second time. And so I definitely recommend anybody listening to this pick it up. But today I didn't want to focus on one of the 12 rules because I think everybody's asked you about one of these 12 rules at least like a dozen times. So I want to ask you about the genesis of these ideas. And I believe that genesis started with the, the 42 ideas you shared in response to a core question that was, what are the most valuable things anyone should know? And so one of those that I don't think made it into the book directly, like a lot of these kind of, I think you combine them together and they made it into these different rules in the book. But one of them, I wasn't quite sure if it actually made it into the book directly was, don't let bullies get away with it. So what do you mean by that? And how ought we conduct ourselves in this world to ensure that bullies don't get away with it? Well, this was, that was really, I was really thinking about that both 
at the political and the and the work level, I would say, um, career level. I mean, I've had lots of people in my clinical and consulting practice who've been subject to um, oppression, let's say, oppression and tyranny at the local level at work. And you have to prepare yourself to not, to be able to defend yourself. And so you do that in part by noticing, in fact, when the situation at work or wherever you happen to be, you know, that notice noticing that you're being subject to policies, let's put it that way, that are making you bitter and resentful because they're interfering with, they either run contrary to your own ethics or they're, or they're taking the, the joy and engagement out of your activities, right? So that you start to feel like you're being enslaved, I would say, is probably the right way to think about that. And then, well, you have to notice that that's the case because that makes you bitter and it poisons your life. and it, and and that can lead to very dark places. Now, it's certainly the case that standing against that kind of thing also carries its risks. Otherwise, people would just do it automatically. But lots of times you're in a situation where you have risks both ways. Now, if you're going to stand up against bullies, you have to prepare yourself, right? So if you're in the workplace, for example, and you're being subject to bullying, unfair oppression, let's say, by a, a figure of authority, then you have to, first of all, outline what's happening so that you understand it, you probably have to write it down, probably have to keep track of it across time so that you have it occurring. You have to figure out exactly why it's wrong. You have to figure out what your response is going to be, and that better be an intelligent and well thought through response. You have to point to the occurrence of those events over multiple occasions. You have to say why it's not, why it's not good, what the cost of it is, and what should be done instead in a minimal possible way. And you probably have to prepare yourself to look laterally for another job. Because if you're so afraid of losing your job, if you're too afraid of losing your job and you don't have any other alternatives, then you're bargaining from an exceptionally weak position. But I would say generally in your life, you want to position yourself so that you have options. And that means things like keeping your education up to date and keeping your resume up to date and being willing to look for another job which is a good career development strategy anyways, and to be ready to take on new interviews and, and all of that. So it's, it's not like it's an easy thing to stand up to being tyrannized. Otherwise, people would just do it automatically, and they don't. People put up with, it's, it's quite frequently the case that people will put up with things that are in nobody's interest, including their own. So, and, but the, the real trick is to wrap your head around the fact that sometimes you're in a place where you have no good options. You can eat up with it and be miserable and wretched and have a futile life and get resentful and angry and vengeful and take it out on your family. Or you can take the risk of standing up and learning how to do that, which at least in that case, you make yourself stronger and you say what you have to say. And maybe, you know, I've seen this many times in my consulting and clinical practice is that if someone was in a bad place at work, it was time for them to go. And sometimes that took two or three years. Like it's, this is no easy thing to make a career shift, but my experience has been that if you do it consciously and, and carefully, that you can almost always end up in a, in a much better place. In one of your, actually, I'm going to try to tie in three quotes from three of your biblical lecture series. So the first one is from number six, the psychology of the flood. And you summarized what Carl Jung said, uh, and it went something like this. You're in a story, whether you know it or not. If it's someone else's story, you're probably going to get a bit part. 
and it might not be the one you want. And if it's a story you don't know, it might be one with a really bad ending, or maybe it's bad period with a worse ending. And if you don't know what the story you're living out is, maybe that's the one. So the second thing I want to tie into here was from lecture nine in the call to Abraham, he said, quote, you want to be going somewhere that's good enough so the going is worthwhile. And in lecture 10, Abraham, father of nations, you said, you're going to suffer no matter what. And if you're going to suffer, you could at least do something noble and glorious and upright and powerful and honorable and admirable and helpful and difficult. And I, I, I've seen this throughout your lectures, through your writing. And it seems to me, if I understand you correctly, that like the most important metric in life isn't necessarily suffering, but meaning. And that we should, instead of aiming to reduce our personal suffering, we should aim to craft or amplify or strengthen the meaning in our own lives so that any or all suffering that we go through is actually, quote, worth the while. Yeah, well, maybe you can have your cake and eat it too, you know. I mean, there's nothing wrong with avoiding some unnecessary suffering if you could imagine it, if you can manage it, and maybe for yourself and for other people. But I would say, like, life is a life in some sense is an intrinsic catastrophe, you know, because life is very hard for people. And even people who are very successful have difficult lives. Now, I mean, some people have impossibly difficult lives, right? But even people who have it good have all the terrors of existence to contend with. And so, and obviously there's no rate from that, but there, there, I think of all those quotes that you laid forward, the one that deals with making the voyage worthwhile is the most apropos in because life is difficult process and, and, and challenging what is infinitely challenging is ultimately challenging right because because it's bounded by death not least because it's bounded by death and insanity and all these terrible things that can befall people is that you need to 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 chart a course that makes the travel worthwhile and, and that's not happiness that's that's it's it's much more it's much more profound idea than that. It's more like adventure, I would say. It's more like a great the great adventure of your life, you know. And that's that's a difficult thing. That's a that's a challenging voyage. It's not, it's not a it's not a tropical cute cruise with a mai tai in hand. Although maybe now and then it could be that. So and, but I think human beings, you know, we're we're very tough and combative creatures, and we're really built for a load. I do think, and I I think. You really see this hunger arising in young men for exactly a call to that kind of adventure. It's like, get the hell up, guys, get to work. There's things to be done. There's 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 dragons to con there's dragons to confront and things to st set right. And you have a role to play in that. And I truly do believe that that's I believe that's the truth. And I believe that it's more powerful than fear and than suffering. And that's saying a lot because fear and suffering are real. Yes. Okay, so I want to dovetail on that and say, so in your life right now, what is that great thing? What is your great journey that you're moving towards or that you're aiming at that makes your daily burden worthwhile? Because I know you're going through experience the slings and arrows, let's say, of, of certain groups of people right now. Uh, plus, there's just the burden of, of, of fame and celebrity. In your case, it's earned, not the unearned kind that's, that's dangerous. But but all these different things, they have to create pressure on you. I know how hard you're going, how many interviews you're doing, how nonstop it is. So what's that thing that's making it worthwhile for you? It's, it's, it's the fact that I know that the, the information that I'm purveying <clears throat> by all these means is, is helping people sort out their lives. Thousands and thousands of people. 
it's overwhelming and it's great and that's well worth it i mean i'm i'm afraid that we're we're on the precipice of doing something quite stupid politically or maybe multiple things politically perhaps on the left and perhaps on the right um and also hoping that you know if enough people pull themselves together and return with some understanding to the core values that made our culture great that make all cultures great the real values that human beings have to guide themselves by that will avoid unnecessary catastrophe and that will put the world in a better place i think we can do that and that that's what's more worthwhile than that you know and i know it's working because i get thousands of letters from people saying mostly they say two things one is that i've given them words to articulate things they knew but didn't know how to say that's one very that's about a quarter of the letters i would say and the other three quarters are from people who say you know i was in a dark place then they outline the particular kind of darkness that enveloped them and said well i'm trying to not lie i'm trying to adopt responsibility i'm trying to formulate my aims i'm trying to rectify my relationships i'm trying to improve myself and it's really working and things are way better and i'm back from the brink and i'm better for my family and i've got hope for the future and like there's nothing better than that you know when i go down the street now people stop me all the time and and they say exactly. and so like you imagine can you imagine a better situation than being able to walk down the street it's pretty much anywhere now that i go and have a there's a good possibility that someone will stop me and say look i was having a really rough time and i've been watching what you've been doing and listening to it and they're very serious about this this these people they say things are way better for me like one of the things that happened to me a while ago which i just loved was i i was in la downtown and downtown la is kind of rough and anyways i was walking around with my wife the day after a show i did there a lecture i gave there and this kid pulled up in a car beside me and hopped out he was a latino kid about probably 19 20 something like that kind of a stylish looking kid jumped over and he said are you dr peterson i said yes he said oh and he was all happy to meet me and shook my hand and he was all excited and he said look i've been listening to your lectures for 18 months i've really been listening to them and my life is way better and he said i've really fixed my relationship up with my father and he said wait wait a minute and so i stopped and waited for a second he ran back to the car he got his father out of the car and they both came over and they had their arms around each other and you know they were looking all smiley and happy and his father said look i'm getting along really well with your son and so it's because he's been listening to your lectures thanks a lot and like they were really happy and jesus you know how could he ask for anything better than that it's yeah. so good that's beautiful yeah. and i think yeah, it's it was what great you, yeah. what you, what you've been able to do is it makes it because it's like I, I, again i i i can attest to that as well i think personal improvements in my life in my family's life my my impact on my friends as well and my acquaintances because yeah. i'm just more thoughtful about the things i'm saying yeah. now i'm more you've kind of exposed this that made me aware of these things of these words that i should be uh, cognizant of telling the truth but uh, one of the things i love about it too is i've i've been able to share that with other people it's yeah. like hey listen like i know you're going through some stuff so just listen to a couple of these it'll probably help and give you some perspective and so i think that's cool because then you you know you not even only give the individual the tools i think to improve themselves it helps people like me and other people also to help other people you kind of yeah. give us the tools to spread the words too yeah that's done it so well absolutely well and like i do believe that it it really matters that every single person gets their act together we're networked together and you know we think of ourselves as 7 billion isolated units and and none of us and 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 despair that none of us have any 
what significance or purpose. It's like it's not the case. We're each the center of a, and a vast network and we're each responsible for determining the direction of the cosmos as far as I can tell. And it isn't obvious to see how we can each be doing that, you know, that we can each be charged with that responsibility, but it still seems to me that it's the case. We're also very annoyed and irritated with one another if we don't treat each other as if that was the, the truth. You know, so, and yeah, so that's, well, that's my big adventure. It's like, well, it's really, you think, well, here's what, here's something you could do with your life. It's like devoted to making everything you possibly can better and see what happens. Tell the truth, aim high, make things better and see where you can get with that. It's like, there's an adventure for you. And talk me through your self-authoring program. I've started to go through it. Shame yep. on me for not actually completing it, but I think that's- Hey, it starts good, man. Yeah, right, it is. So I've, I've at least started it yep. and, and I see the power in it already. You've actually said there's a memory you have that brings tears to your eyes, yep. write it down in detail. And I thought to myself, yep. well, that seems like that's, that ties into this idea of the self-authoring program. And, but it's like, there's something then that's, there's something uniquely powerful about the act of writing down both mm. memories and your ideas of the future to articulate them. Something different about the writing versus anything else. So maybe you can walk me through like well, why, why is that the case? It's an extremely powerful way of thinking because you, by using the, an external source as memory, which is what you, you're writing, is that you free up yourself to, to think and remember at the same time, right? Because if you're just thinking, you have to remember everything you're thinking. But if you're writing, you don't have to remember everything you're thinking because you can put it on the page. And then you can, and so you can think and then you can review your thinking. So you can engage in a constant dialogue with yourself. You can find your thinking. You might say, who cares if I'm It's like, no, no, you don't understand. Your thinking is a map. And you need a map to negotiate through the world if you don't want to fall into a pit. The better your map, the better you negotiate through the world. So to, to write about your past is to extract out the information from the past that you need to chart course into the future. And to write about the future is to see yourself as the captain ship and to take on that responsibility and to not just be someone to whom things happen and that that's part of the idea of writing your own story instead of playing a bit role in someone else's catastrophe perhaps like one one rule is you don't get what you don't name at that's and so you think well my life isn't everything it could be it's like okay fair enough you know that's that that's understandable maybe you're angry about it. it's like okay what's your damn plan What's your vision? How could that be improved? How could you put it into place? And it's it's extraordinarily useful to ask yourself those questions. So an additional question I have is actually kind of your ideas uh, that you kind of developed over time. And I know you reference obviously a lot of your, your well, and mentors or at least mentors maybe in, in the uh, academic sense of like the books that you've read and the great thinkers that you've gone through. And I know that's something you you share a lot. It's like, hey, find great books, find great thinkers, read every everything you get your hands on. Uh, and that's definitely one of your kind of uh, imperatives that you set forward. One of the people that- people Pick that, your peers. Yes. That's the thing that books allow you to do. They enable you to make the great people of the past your peers. Think about what a privilege that is. That's just an unbelievable privilege. And so there's just no reason not to do it. I have quite an extensive reading list on my website at jordanbpeterson.com and lots and lots of people are buying those books. And it's not exhaustive by any stretch of the imagination. And I actually want to set up a, a course of great reading that'll be several, several, several hundred books long, maybe in order of difficulty so that people can walk through them. But I'm hoping that I'll be able to get to that as part of my plan to 
at least dabble in the idea of producing an online university, or at least modules for an online university. But yeah, this, why not read what great people have to say, or at least listen to it, because you can do that now. It's easier to listen. So that's a really good deal. It's like, get the hell at it, man. And so one of the people that I, I read a lot of his work before I found your work in the last couple of well, last year, year and a half, um, was Nassim Taleb. And I know you guys have exchanged some messages back and forth on Twitter. I don't yeah. know how the, the he's relationship... He's a prickly guy. He's a what guy? He's a prickly guy. Prickly you know, guy. So, yeah, he sends a barb messages my way. But I've been reading... I read The Black Swan a long while back, and I really liked it. And I've been reading his new book, too, um, the name of which, unfortunately, escapes Skin me. Skin in the Game. Skin in the Game. That's right. That's right. And it's funny because people have sent me paragraphs from that book in particular and said, this sounds like you might have written it. And I read the paragraph and I thought, Jesus, that is, that's, I, that, I write that? But it's, he's come to many of the same conclusions as me from a completely different perspective. Uh, I don't know, if, I don't know how familiar he is with what I'm doing or if he agree with that, but that's how it looks to me. So, it's, but he's an ornery guy, right? He's a prickly, prickly barbed wire guy. That Right, and that's, that's yeah. I, so I couldn't tell from the outside like what that relationship is like. I thought the same thing because I've read, well, I've read all his books, except for this most recent one. I'm just getting started yeah. on that now. But the fundamentals of it, this idea of like long tail risk, you know, to yeah. me that, that has a lot to do with you talking about the flood. Um, and it's like, well, you want to prepare for those things ahead of time. Um, that's right. Then it's the idea of, you know, taking personal responsibility. So it's the idea of, well, clean up your room, just his ideas like skin of the game but they're they're yeah. they're fundamental concepts like kind yeah of he also them. he also has a he also seems to have developed a pragmatic theory of truth that's quite similar to mine which is a theory of truth based in action rather than in fact say and so i would like to talk to him and i suspect i'll get the opportunity at some point but yeah he's a kind of a barbed wire sort of guy so yeah um, but I like we don't we don't have a relationship other than that mm. those exchanges that you've seen. So obviously he's aware of me and I'm aware of him. But um, it would be nice to have a productive conversation with him and maybe that'll be set up in time. Yeah, I, I look forward to that. Okay, so one of my final questions here is you've in the past you've talked about kind of a right left dichotomy and this idea yep. of and you've made reference to the fact that kind of Nazis are on on the right, the Russian Soviets, uh, the communists on the left. One of the things I've kind of struggled with when I look at that is looking at that lens I I wonder why do you use like the right left dichotomy in that context and, and let me preface that by saying when I look at this obviously they were they were national socialists they were devoted to their yeah. country they they did embrace this authoritarianism they embraced this like ethnic cleansing was a, a kind of a yeah. part and parcel of their platform but the same is true of the Russians you know we have Mushka, yeah. Russia, Mother Russia they were also they all also ethnically cleansed they were authoritarian so they actually had their ideal of the motherland too I don't necessarily yeah. see them as being right and left. They're kind of both the same authoritarian well, they're both, monstrosity. They're both leftist. Yeah. Well, I guess the, one of the fundamental differences between the national socialists and the international socialists was obviously that the national socialists were nationalist. So they weren't universalist in their aims. You know, they, 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 they adopted a racial, superior, racial nation, national superiority doctrine, whereas although there was patriotism that was associated with the, the Soviets, they were definitely interested in the establishment of an inter something approximating an international utopia. I mean, I think the right-left division isn't, isn't infallible by any stretch of the imagination. And obviously, many of the national socialist doctrines were intensely collectivist. So it gets complicated. And when the left gets extreme and the right gets extreme, the fact that they're extreme starts to overwhelm the fact that they're perhaps right and left. And so 
you can't really use a unidimensional analysis to completely, what would you say, to completely sum up and understand the, 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 all the complex dynamics that are at work. But I think the reason that that idea that the Nazis were on the right and the Russians were on the left or the communists were on the left has been so, uh, has, has stuck, let's say, has, has, has been a, an idea that, that, that has lasted is because, first of all, the Nazis and the communists were at each other's throats. So they were opposed in important ways. And, and second, the, the, the idea of ethnic and racial superiority seems to be something that crops up quite frequently on the right rather than on the left. And you might say, well, there's other relative dimensions of comparison, like the collectivist, the collectivist ideas that united the Nazis and the communists. It's like, yeah, fair enough. You can't, you can't take something as complex as the dynamics that were played out between the fascists and the communists in the 20th century and reduce it to one dimension and capture all of the nuances. So the way I understand what you're saying, at least partially, is this is kind of this is the dichotomy we have right now that we use to articulate at least some of these ideas, but it's by no means right. a finality or, or a complete yeah. thought. It's too simple. It's right. too like you know, you want to reduce if you don't reduce a complex phenomena to something simple, you can't understand it. Right. The question is where do you where do you draw the line between simplicity and, and completeness? Right. And that's a very, very complicated dynamic and one dimension doesn't suffice, but it's not such a bad starting place. So I have one reader question, and it was a question from a mother, and she has kids, and she was wondering, how do you raise your kids to be traditional conservative, but at the same time, you do value education, you are interested in learning about different points of view, you want to have your, you want to have your kids be challenged. I think you time- just, you do your best to live by traditional values in your household. You try to forge a marriage that lasts, you try to live with mutual respect, you, you try to encourage your children to give them autonomy, you know, you... And you do it by example, fundamentally. And, and that's, the, that's the most effective way to lead anyways. And, and, you know, you can engage your kids in discussion about abstract ideas when that becomes necessary. But the fundamental issue is to lay down the bedrock of, of family. And that's trust and love, essentially. Trust and love and honesty, something like that. And that's, if you can manage that, and that's, that's good enough. And then you're also saying, with that foundation, that done properly, that yeah. the the fear of indoctrination those aren't necessarily to be yeah. feared per se. Well, I think well th- that that's the most effective way of combating them. I think as well though it's come it's I think we're at a point where if your children are being talked to about things like diversity and inclusivity and equity, um, then it's really time to take a good hard look about whether or not they should be in that school, because there is a point and we're at already where they're not being educated they are clearly being indoctrinated and i think those three buzzwords especially used together especially equity which is that pernicious equality of outcome doctrine if it's diversity inclusivity and equity it's time to look for a new school or to have some words with the teacher or to have some words with the principal because it's gone too far and that's going we're going to see way more of that in the next five years I love it. Well, Jordan, thank you so much for being on In the Trenches. Um, We'll make sure that people can reach out to find you at jordanbpeterson.com. Is that correct? That's right. Yes. Thank you. It was very nice talking with you. And that wraps up another broadcast of In the Trenches. As I mentioned earlier at the outset of this interview, 
it would mean a lot to me if you enjoyed this conversation to go to iTunes to leave a rating and review. That's the way I get exposure for this podcast, and it helps me get on amazing guests like Jordan Peterson for future episodes. So please take one minute to leave a review, and you can find that at tommorkes.com. That's T-O-M-M-O-R-K-E-S.com slash iTunes, and that'll redirect you to our iTunes page where you can very easily subscribe and leave a review. The second thing I wanted to share was that at around the 20-minute mark, Dr. Peterson's audio started to go out a little bit, as you can kind of hear in this podcast production. And what's unfortunate is that about a minute or two of content where Dr. Peterson dove into his self-authoring program didn't make the final cut here today. So what I wanted to do was encourage you to go to selfauthoring.com and check out his programs, which are based around writing about your past, your present, and your future so you can align yourself and set goals, set your aim on the things that you want to achieve. And I've gone through the program myself or I'm in the midst of it. And even though I'm barely scratching the surface with it, I find it has helped me really identify what I care about, what I'm aiming toward. And it's helped me make some really great progress towards those goals. So again, I encourage you to check out selfauthoring.com for more great stuff by Dr. Peterson. So that's it for today. Hope you enjoyed the podcast and I'll catch you on the next broadcast.